Today we are beginning a new series that's going to be for the month of August called Lead Like Jesus. A few years back I was introduced to this book right here you can see on the screen called The Servant Leadership. It was kind of one of those life-changing books that when you read through it, and I read through it with a ministry staff and then read through it on my own, it's one of those books you hold on to and you're like, I'm going to go back through that periodically. I'm going to refer to it periodically. If you don't have a copy of that, I would encourage you to, to pick up a copy. I think it's about 12 bucks on Amazon or something like that. It's a great little book as you just look at how do we lead in life by looking at the life of Christ. Ken Blanchard is the author. He's the author of The One Minute Manager. Maybe if you're in a business world, you've read that or been in some of his seminars. And Ken was doing leadership training prior to meeting Jesus or trying to really walk in Jesus. His life was challenged by someone who said, Ken, you're doing a great job leading, but you don't know who Jesus is. And so he started to study the life of Christ, and he said his life was changed, and he studied Jesus, and he started to realize that some of the principles I'm teaching come right from his scriptures, right from his life. And so he put this book together, and as he studied the life of Christ, he came to the conclusion that Jesus is the greatest leader to ever live. He said he is the greatest leader, so let's look at the life of Jesus, and let's see how Jesus led people and guided people, and let's then try to repeat that in our own lives. Now, a lot of times when we think about leadership, you're thinking, well, I'm not a leader. I'm not involved in any role of leadership, and let me just suggest to you today that we are all leaders in this room in some way or another. Everybody in this room, whether it's in your family, if you're a mom or your dad, you're a leader. You're leading your kids. If you're a husband, you're leading your wife. And if you're a wife, at times you're leading your husband. And sometimes there's shared leadership. If it, if it comes to your business, maybe you own a company. You are leading people. You're a manager. You are leading people. Maybe it's your job. And you're like, I'm, I'm just one of the peons. No, you're not just one of the peons. You're working alongside other people who you have a chance to lead and a chance to guide. Maybe it's your personal life. Maybe it's your professional life. Maybe Maybe it's just in some hobbies or some sports you're involved with. If you're involved in the lives of people, you have an opportunity to lead. You have an opportunity to lead. Now, our culture tries to draw the line and say, listen, let's not mix what you do on Sunday with what happens during the rest of the week, don't they? Let's just leave that faith thing to your Sunday time, or let's leave that faith thing to when you gather in Bible study, but let's not allow it to influence what you do Monday through Friday or Monday through Saturday. Let's set that aside. May I suggest to you today, church, this world needs some Christian, Christ-like leaders who are going to step up. We need some people. Who watched the Hall of Fame speeches last night? Anybody stay up watching any of those? Very few of you care about Hall of Fame speeches. That's all right. They were so empowering. Hall of Fame speeches like I've never seen before. Three guys in a row standing up and talking about Jesus Christ and preaching sermons to national television about Jesus and how Jesus changed their life, how Jesus allowed them to do what they did. And we all can preach that same kind of message if we're willing to submit our lives to Jesus. See, uh, we need that. And here, here's leadership. In, in a nutshell, leadership is basically influence. That's all it is. Leadership is influence. It's an influence process whereby you try to influence somebody's other's thoughts or feelings or beliefs toward a certain goal in life. And when it comes to faith, we want to, be, we want to lead or we want to influence other people towards knowing and growing in Christ. I think that's a goal that anybody who's a Christ follower could take on and say, you know what? 
Maybe I can. Maybe it's, I'm just going to influence my neighbor. Maybe I'm just going to influence my friend. I'm just going to influence this one student. I'm just going to influence this coworker. But I'm going to work at trying to have some influence, some leadership in their life because we want them to know Christ. We want them to grow in Christ. So in this series, Lead Like Jesus, we're going to discuss what does it take and what does it look like to be a godly leader in your family, in your business, in your, in your marriage, with your friends, with your school friends, with your sports, in life. How do I I do this? And it all begins with the heart. Every single bit of it begins with the heart. The servant leader who motivates and influences people towards Christ over the long haul is one who has a big heart, who has a heart for Christ, who is looking at Christ as that example. Jesus is a perfect example of this kind of heart that a successful leader needs. And we see in Mark chapter 6, turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 6 this morning, where we're going to learn some lessons of leadership, and specifically lessons of leadership, and what does our heart have to do in order to lead like Jesus Christ? So I want to encourage you to take note of his heart, because his heart had such a huge impact upon who he was and how he led life. So let's look at the heart, and let's begin with Jesus' heart that was a spirit-filled Heart. In Mark chapter 6, verse 31, it says, Then because so many people were coming and going, that they did not even have a chance to eat. Now, this is in the middle of when Jesus is preaching and teaching. His disciples are with him. He's doing healing. He's performing miracles. And there are thousands of people around. As I was talking about last week, just a crowd who was following, like, where's Jesus? They wanted to be by him. And he said to them, being his disciples, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. So Jesus withdrew from the crowds to get alone with his Father God. He's like, life is crazy. Life is busy. All these people, and he knew, I got to get alone to get refreshed, to have my spirit refreshed. And he loved people. We know that. He, he was very accessible to people, people around him all the time. But he got away from it all, got away from it all to withdraw to say, okay, God, you and I got to talk. You and I got to convene. Father, you and I need to interact. He didn't spend every day from dusk to dawn with people draining every single one of his energies. He spent time with ministering with people, and he spent time with drawing away from people. And you see that pattern in his life as you go through the New Testament. No matter how strong you are in your life, no matter how strong we are emotionally, physically, mentally, Life is draining. Life is stressful. Life is tiring. It's overwhelming. You know the highest cause rate or highest raise of medical health industry right now that is raising and soaring out of control is mental health issues. It's because we don't understand this principles to withdraw and get away from it all and say, I gotta sit before the Father. I got to get quiet before him. I got to hang out with him. I got to release some of the stress and then go back in because this life is not going to slow down. It's going to continue to be stressful. And so that's what Jesus did. Jesus withdrew. At the very beginning of his ministry in Luke, it says Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit in Luke chapter 4. Full of the Holy Spirit. How did he do that? He stopped and spent time with God what, to, to retain those healthy relationships. Uh, he, he spent time with his father. Jesus often separated himself from those crowds. i got to get away from these crowds. He spent time alone with God. Why? For physical rest. For physical rest. Now, let me illustrate it this way for you. Steve, will you help me out and hand me those, those cans of Coke? Um, let me illustrate it this way. 
if these cans of Coke here just represent people, and we look around this room right here, we look very similar in terms of people. Most of us, I would say, have two eyes. Most of us have two arms. Most of us have ten fingers. Most of us have ten toes, two legs. Now, we may be a little bit different. One may be tall, one may be short. Some of us may be skinny, and some of us may be a little bit more than skinny. Some of us maybe have different skin color. But if you go up and down the aisle of Kroger, and you go down the, the soda aisle, or pop aisle from the north, you go down that aisle, and you start pulling cans off the shelf. They're different colors. They look different, but really, I mean, they're all similar. They're all can. What makes these things different? I mean, the color here that I have today, they're the same color. Difference in height. Here's what's, here's what's different. When pressure happens to this can, I can crush it. This can here, when pressure happens, I can't crush it. What's the difference? What's inside? What's inside? Life brings all kinds of pressure to us. Life brings all kinds of stress. Marriage stress, life stress, school stress, all kinds of stress, money stress. How are we going to handle those things? See, if we don't have a deep walk with God, we're being empowered by the Holy Spirit. If we don't withdraw from it all, when life happens, this is going to happen to life. But if we're walking with God, that stuff happens, life's going to squeeze on you, and you're probably going to withstand it. You're going to go through those challenges and go, man, right now I feel the pressure, but I'm going to withdraw a little bit more maybe with God. That's what Jesus learned to do. Jesus learned that I've got to withdraw with God. I've got to spend time with my Father. And if Jesus had to spend time with his Father, should we not want to do the same thing? I mean, Jesus was fully God, but fully human. And he knew, I have got to spend time with my Father. A.W. Tozer wrote, that no man suddenly goes base. Now you have to read that and go, that's not common language today. What does it mean? He means you don't just all suddenly fail. You don't just all suddenly fall in that trap of sin or fall into adultery or fall into the addiction or fall into whatever it may be. What happens is behind the scenes, there's an inner corroding of the soul. There's an inner corroding of the heart because the heart and the soul is not connecting with God. And what happens over time is then when life happens, we fall apart. When temptation comes, we fall apart. When difficulties happen, we fall apart. It's a slow corruption, but when the pressure comes hits us. But if you're walking with Jesus, you withstand the temptation. You withstand giving in. You withstand throwing in the towel. That's why it's even Jesus took time to replenish his spiritual energies. He was not only sensitive to his own need, though. He was sensitive to the needs of people who were walking with him. He was sensitive to the disciples' needs. See, sometimes we don't understand that. Sometimes we think as a dad, well, I'm going along. Everything's going great. Well, have you checked in on your wife? Have you checked in on your kids? Sometimes as a wife, you're moving along. Or, I'm doing great. But what about everybody else, what about in your business? Well, I'm moving along. I'm leading some people. And you're just trucking along. And are you stopping and go, hey, how's their heart? How's their soul? That's what Jesus did. Jesus said to his disciples, you come with me. Because Jesus had a sensitivity of spirit. He knew, hey, life's been real pressure-filled lately. And so we need to get away. And so he says, disciples, let's get his way. In his book, Conform to His Image, author and teacher Ken Boa has an entire section pointing out that a godly leader leads from the inside out. 
And he writes, external actions should derive from internal reality, and this requires a rhythm of solitude and engagement, restoration and application, intimacy with Christ, and activity in this world. He continues, the life of Jesus illustrates this pattern of seeking significant time to be alone with the Father so that he would have the inner power to, and poise to deal with the outward pressure imposed upon him by his friends and enemies. People who work and minister without adequate restoration through prayer and meditation do not have the interior resources to manifest the fruit of the Spirit in a stress-filled world. During the quiet times of the devotional life, we gain and gain the perspective and the power we need to live with character and composure in the context of daily demands. How's your time with God been lately? You know, school is coming back around. Sometimes we take the summer and we just really chill, don't we? Teachers, administrators, those who lead students, how's your time with God been lately? You're getting ready to go back into the rat race. You're going back into the pressure cooker. Your time with God is is ever most important. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 30, verse 15, it says, In repentance, in other words, recognizing I've been wrong, telling God about it, in repentance and rest you will be saved. In quietness and in truth is your strength. Even the prophet Isaiah is like, listen, there is times you need to repent, you need to rest, you need to get quiet, and that's where your strength comes from. See, a Christ-like leader's heart should be filled with the Holy Spirit. And if we are going to influence a world for Christ that people would know and grow in Christ, then it starts right here within the church walls that we're doing that first in our own lives. That we're walking with Christ too often, though. We're like a cup that's empty. See, we should be like a cup that's full, that's running over, that we're so full of God that we just kind of splash out on other people. But what happens many times is we're running so much on empty that we've got to be tipped upside down, tipped upside down for maybe a drop of Jesus to come out of us. You want Jesus to come out? You want to influence other people's life? Have a deep walk with God. Have a, have a quiet space with God. Get away with God. When the heart is empty, leading then becomes forced and becomes hypercritical. When you're leading full with Jesus, that's not what happens. Years ago, when Christian, when a comedian, uh, Charlie Chaplin, was visiting in Monaco, he saw an advertisement for a Charlie Chaplin lookalike contest. He decided to enter it anonymously. He came in third place. See, maybe people's image of you is markedly different from who you really are on the inside. I can look at you and I can say, you're tall, you're short, you got dark hair, you got light hair, you're this skin color, you're that skin color, you speak this language, you speak that language, but it's only between you and God that knows what's going on in here. And between you and God, if God's judging the heart, what's he saying to you today? What's he telling you? You know, your heart, it's empty. Your heart is broken. Your heart is hard. Your heart is hurting. Your heart is full. Your heart is joyful. Your heart is filled with me. What's he saying to you? What's he saying to you? See, some people's image, they look at you and go, oh, you got it all together. Only you and God know what's really happening here. And the pressure cooker of life then reveals what's really happening inside of here. 
See, what, what, what renews one person spiritually may not work with someone else, but you've got to find your groove with God, so to speak. You've got to find what works with you and God. And I've had mentors speak in my life and say, well, Brian, you need to try this, you need to try that. And it's taken some time of practicing and trying and experimenting to find what is it with me and God that works. Some of you, you enjoy a quiet walk in the woods. You're like, just me and God walking in the woods? That's just perfect for me. Some of you, you're like, man, I get up at 4 in the morning and I just spend time with God when the house is quiet, and that's perfect with me. Some of you, I'm going to stay up late when everyone goes to bed, I'm going to turn off the television, turn on some worship music, and just sing praises to God. That works for you. Some of you, you like to journal every single day. I've tried that. That is so boring to me. But some of you love it, and it works for you. Some of you won't believe this one because we had a discussion about it this week, but one of my favorite things to do is listen to the old hymns. I had a discussion. They're like, you got to be kidding me. If you went to my phone right now and opened up my latest song, it's a hymn because I was in here yesterday setting chairs with hymns playing, worshiping and praying over the chairs because I just love to hear the old hymns. That's what I grew up on. See, God speaks to all of us in different ways. I have a few things that revive my soul, the hymns, the walks by myself, and usually about 5 a.m. in my own quiet space with God. What is it with you? Do you know where your space is that you meet God? Do you know where that quiet space is that you're like, God, it's just you and I. I need to be refilled. I need to hear from you. I need to confess to you. I need to spend that time with you. See, once you understand what replenishes your spirits well, then carve out time for it. Carve out time. If you're married, speak to your spouse about it and say, listen, you need your time. I need my time. When's your time going to be and when's my time going to be? Let's help each other. Do you know your marriage will be a whole lot better if your wife is spending time with God and if you're spending time with God as a man? And if you make plans for that and say, honey, hey, listen, for this next hour, two hours, three hours, whatever it is, or on this day or on every day of the week, I have the kids. You got your time. And she says, likewise, hey, this time I know you're getting up, you're doing this. I'll protect your time. Help each other walk with God. Devotional writer Oswald Chambers said, if I am devoted to the cause of humanity only, I will soon be exhausted and come to the place where my love will falter. But if I love Jesus Christ personally and passionately, I can serve humanity, though men treat me as a doormat. That is so true. You learn to walk with Jesus personally, and you can make it through everything in life. So Jesus has a spirit-filled heart, but he also has a compassionate heart. Look at verse 33, Mark chapter 6. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Now, if I had been Jesus, I think I would have been aggravated. You remember he says to the disciples, let's get in the boat and let's go to the other side. Why? Because he wants to get away from the crowd because he knows, I need a break. I'm tired and the disciples are tired. He needed some time off. He's drained the demands of the crowd. He taught them. He healed them. He listened to them. He hung out with them. And he and his disciples have been trying to minister. He said, let's get away and get a break. In addition to the people's burdens, Jesus had just received news that a close relative and friend, John the Baptist, had been beheaded. And so he's like, man, I've been doing all this ministry, caring about people, pouring out. My friend now has been headed. He was executed. John was not much more than 30 years old. Been brutally executed by King Herod. He's like, i got to get away from this crowd. It'd be like me preaching one day. Here's Sunday morning. I know it's not going to happen. But I say, okay, I'm, I'm going to the back of the property. You all are like, great, go to the back of your property. We're going to our car. 
but be like you all saying, oh, you're going to the back of the property. Preacher, we're going to follow you. No, i got to get to the back of the property. Leave me alone. No, we're, we're going. We want you to keep teaching. That would be a remarkable day for us preachers. <laughs> let's, check, let's try it out. No. They, and, and Jesus is trying to get away. And what happens is they then go around the lake by foot. They see the disciples in the boat, and they're like, wait a minute. We still want to be around Jesus. And so when the disciples and Jesus get to the other side, who's there? The crowd. I can see them on the side. Hey, we found you. Hey, we're ready for some more stories. Come on. Hey, wait, my friend over here, he's still limping. Can you get him up walking? Hey, here's my friend. They're blind. Can you help them see? And Jesus, I could imagine. At least it would be me. I'd be like, oh, my goodness, get out of here. You're driving me crazy. Ken Blanchard said, if it hadn't been for interruptions, Jesus wouldn't have had ministry. So here's another interruption. It's, it's an uh, unwelcome interruption, so to speak. Thousands of people had scurried around the lake to beat Jesus and to get there. And Jesus, looking for privacy, encountered another crowd. The people lines up at the shore waiting for him. And Jesus doesn't see this as an intrusion, though. He doesn't resent it as an intrusion. Look at his reaction. It says, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and began teaching them. In some translations, it says he even began healing them. A Christ-like leader responds to people in the same way. We don't see people as a mass of humanity to be manipulated for our own personal advantages. We, we, neither do we resent people as interruptions to our personal agenda. So when that coworker says, hey, can I talk to you? And you're thinking, man, you drive me crazy. We have talked enough. Or husbands, when your wives call you during the day, why are you calling me? You're an interruption. Or wife, when your husband texts or calls you, why are you bothering me? Or when your children come to you and say, Dad, can I talk? Dad, I need a few minutes. Are they interruptions to you? Are they messing up your life? Or are you welcoming and going, man, this is a great thing right now. Yeah, I wanted some peace and quiet, but I'm enjoying this interruption. A shepherd loves his sheep and knows them by name. A shepherd feeds his sheep and he leads them to green pastures and still water. A shepherd finds the lost sheep and he rescues them from the peril of even though it's inconvenient or it's dangerous. A shepherd puts the needs of the sheep above his own and that's the demonstration of a compassionate heart. Yes, Jesus knew he needed rest. Yes, he knew he needed to spend time with his father. He didn't shoo the people away. He welcomed them and said, okay, got some more ministry to do. When I was a kid, I saw the compassion of Christ in a young man in his 20s by the name of Randy Green. Randy was my first youth minister when I was growing up. And as a teenager, I'm sure we drove him crazy at times because that's what teenagers do to us adults. They push our buttons sometimes. I know I misbehaved at times. I know I made life in the youth group miserable at times. I know we pulled all kinds of pranks. I know I know that we talked during the lesson. I know we didn't pay attention. I mean, one of the pranks at church camp one year, we were messing around with water, and I had a bucket of water go throw it on my brother. My brother moved, and there's Randy's bed, boom, with a bucket of water. Boy, I don't know how he loved us teenagers at times. I'm sure inside he wanted to kill us. At times he wanted to wring our necks. But he's the one who believed in me at 12 years old and said, Brian, you're going to be a preacher one day. And I looked at him and said, you're crazy. I'll never be a preacher. <clears throat> God has a sense of humor. He's the one that would put us in the car and say, come on, let's go, let's go watch the Detroit Tiger ball game. 
and he would turn on Sandy Patty and Michael W. Smith. Old, old Sandy Patty and Michael W. Smith. And we're like, what is this? Turn this off. This is horrible. In my car, it's either Sandy Patty, Michael W. Smith, or it's WJR Radio, which is Detroit Sports. And we would ride with him to ball games and do mini Detroit Tiger ball games. He's the one who was flipping pancakes at 7 in the morning when we kept him up. 2, 3 in the morning playing Risk at that time. It wasn't video games. It was board games. He's the one that opened his home to us teenagers. I'll tell you what. I can't tell you one sermon he ever taught. I can't tell you one lesson he ever taught. I don't know. I, I couldn't pull out notes. I don't have a file full of notes going, oh, yeah, my youth minister taught me all this stuff. You know what he taught me? Compassion. You're a teenager. I'm going to love you, stinky teenager, right where you are. And you're going to mess up my life and drive me crazy. I'm going to love you right where you are. That's what Jesus does for people. And I believe I'm in ministry today because of his compassion, because of his patience, because of his putting up with our stuff. Because he kept loving us even when at times we were so unlovable. And so Jesus had that heart of, that was filled by the Spirit. And because it was filled by the Spirit, he had compassion towards people. And lastly, he had a servant's heart. Look at verse 35. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. So people have been hanging around, teaching, and all this is going on. They're like, can you get them out of here, Jesus? Get them out of here. we got to rest. Get them out of here. Tell them to go eat somewhere. And Jesus answered, you give them something to eat. You feed them. They said to him, that would take more than a half year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. He said, go and see. Go figure it out. How many loaves? When they found out, they said, we have five loaves of bread and we have two fish. That's it. And there are thousands of people here, Jesus. Now what are we going to do? Jesus directed them. He said, now, okay, get these people sitting in groups. Put them in groups of 50. Put them in groups of 100 on the grass. So they sat down in groups of 50 and groups of 100 and Jesus then fed them. Jesus was the most effective leader who ever lived because he was sensitive to what people's needs were. I mean, when the disciples suggested that people were hungry, Jesus didn't flippantly dismiss the idea. I mean, he could have said, uh, isn't spiritual food enough for them? I'm giving all they need. He, he could have said, they're not going to starve to death. One meal won't kill them. I mean, he, he could have said, you know, this is a really good time to fast. He could have done all kinds of things. It's probably some of our responses would have been, it's not going to kill you, not to eat. But Jesus recognized that people were hungry and that they needed physical food. Notice the contrast between Jesus and his disciples. They wanted to send the people away. Jesus said, let's keep them right here. They saw the cost as prohibitive. Jesus saw the miraculous opportunity. They saw just one boy's lunch being grossly insufficient. Jesus saw one boy's lunch as being multiplied in a bountiful meal. The Christ-like leader sees opportunities where others see obstacles. And as you try to lead and influence people towards Jesus Christ, we've got to see the opportunities and not see all the obstacles. 
See, Jesus was more than a visionary, though. He took appropriate action. He got organized. He put them in groups of 50, put them in 100. He had the people sitting in those groups. He knew the fair distribution of food would be much easier if they sat in smaller groups. He also knew an accurate account of the people would be important for the future when this miracle is told about what I'm going to do so people can realize what happened. And here's the thing is he didn't just feed them a little bit because they had 12 basketfuls left over. It's a remarkable account. Where Jesus said, let's serve them. They, their, their bellies are empty right now. Let's just meet that physical need. Look what happens next, verse 41. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied, means full. They were full. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Now, some would say, because that's a minute, it doesn't count the women and the children, you're maybe 10 to 12, even 15,000 people in that situation. And they're all fed. Jesus met the needs of the people right where they were. He gave thanks for the food to remind people that God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. He broke the bread in a spectacular, inex- inexplainable miracle. There's no way to explain it. We can't can't possibly even explain it. Miracles are not meant to be explained, but they're meant to be believed. You believe in a miracle, your faith increases. And then Jesus says, I I didn't come to serve, but to be served in Mark chapter 10. See, a Christ-like leader has that kind of spirit. A Christ-like leader has a servant's heart, sense the needs of people that are around them. Rather it be a co-worker, sensitive maybe to a school teacher, sensitive to a friend, Sensitive to your employees, sensitive to what's going on in your family, maybe your spouse, and you say, I want to serve them. I'm going to figure out how to serve them. In his book, Servant Leader, Ken Blanchard points out that the two primary threats to the heart of a leader are pride and fear. Pride and fear. We become prideful and think we can lead on our own. I got it all figured out. I can do this. I don't need anybody else. We neglect intimacy with Christ and edge God out by busyness and and negligence. And he warns against those things in his book, saying, watch out for pride and fear. The Bible warns that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So we've got to watch out for pride when we're trying to influence, we're trying to guide people, trying to lead people. Pride leaves a heart empty and vulnerable to temptation and discouragement. So we need to go back to principle number one, which is we've got to have that deep walk, the spirit-filled walk with Christ. We've got to get away with God. And then fear is also an enemy of the heart. Fear refuses to trust God. Fear refuses to walk by faith. It seeks primarily comfort and security. It fails to act unless all the bases are covered. When I know that everything is covered, then I'll move forward. When I know that everything is covered, then I'll talk to my friend. When I know that every I is dotted, every T is crossed, then maybe I'll try to influence somebody. Lee Iacocca once suggested a good leader makes a decision when 95% of the information is in. It's 95. He said, if the leader waits until he or she is 100% sure, then it's too late. Maybe God's been nudging you to lead, and you're like, i got to wait. i got to wait until everything's in line. Maybe it's time to leap. Maybe it's time to go. But fear freezes in the face of risk. It delays, and it defers to committees. That's why the Bible encourages leaders to be strong and courageous and reminds them that when the Lord is leading, there is no need to fear. No need to fear. And so whatever situation you're in, whether you're an employee, whether you're a boss, whether you're an owner, whether you're in school, wherever you're at, whether it's just in your home, 
to overcome the fear and say, God, you're leading me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump. I don't understand all of it. I don't have every I die. I don't have every T cross, but I'm going. The servant's heart leads with humility and courage. It's willing for others to have the glory. It's willing to take necessary risk and, and to benefit the majority. It trusts God to provide miraculous power. The person who's leading doesn't have to get all the glory. They set their ego aside, their pride. It's interesting that in John's account, the feeding of the 5,000, the people return the next day asking for Jesus to feed them again. Jesus, man, our belly, we, we want some more food. And then in that situation, he refuses. And he says, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not a bread messiah. That's what he basically says, John. I'm not here just to fill your bellies. bellies. I've come to give you spiritual food that's even more important. So you use the tie of the stomach to now let me point you to something even greater. Because he would not feed them bread again, many of his followers, they, they left and they rejected him. So it's a warning to us. When you lead people and you point it in Christ, there are some going to run from you. There are some who are not going to receive it. You can be kind, you can be loving, but at some point when God says, hey, it's time now, turn, turn the corner, they're going to run. They're going to turn. Jesus asked his disciples if they would lead, leave also. And Peter replied, and he said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Only you have the words of eternal life. If we really believe that, if we believe that he is really the way to eternal life, then we lead. We try to influence others towards Christ, realizing that sometimes it's going to affect some relationships. Some people are not going to like you. Some people are not going to stay with you. Some people are going to talk bad about you. Some people maybe blast you on social media, whatever it may be. But that's why you got to walk deep with God. So you keep your eyes fixed on Christ. I, I want you to learn today how to lead. I, I want this month to be a focus. And you say, why, why August? Because August is a time when we kind of renew. August and January. August is that time where it's like, okay, I'm done with my summer travels. Kids are back in school. Uh, you know, new goals are being set at work, new focuses, trying to finish out the last quarter of the year, and we have an opportunity to lead. And so not only do I want to preach about this, but the best way to learn how to lead is for you to have that walk with God. And so I want to encourage you to go on a journey with me for 21 days this month and a Bible reading plan that just focuses on the life of Jesus and Jesus' leadership. Now, I think many of you have this uh, version Bible app. Who has the Version Bible app on your device? A lot do. If you don't have that, I really encourage you to download it and put it on your phone. It's a free app and, and, and create your account. Here's what's going to happen. This is why I really encourage you to make sure that I have your email, your cell phone number correct on that connection card. Tomorrow, we're going to send out an invite to be part of a reading group for 21 days. It's going to start on this Wednesday. And so you'll just have to click the link, you know, sign up. And if you want to engage and have conversation, there'll be a place to do that. If you say, I just want to be able to read, maybe see some other people's comments. But for a way for us to walk through the Word of God together for 21 days as a church, and we'll walk through the Word of God, and then also be able to encourage each other, and hey, am I walking with Jesus so that I can influence other people towards Him? And so that you version will come out tomorrow. Now, if you say you don't get the email, you don't get the text, then maybe you want to give us a call at the church and say, I didn't get it. Why didn't, why didn't I get it? We'll try to figure that out. If we can, because sometimes technology is tricky. But usually we can at least text it to you. Uh, and so we'd love to have as many as possible jump into that. And then when you get that, excite the, accept that invitation. Here's the cool thing. If there's someone who you've been walking with or you'd like to lead or you want to influence towards Christ, you can then take that. You can invite them and say, hey, my church is going on this journey. Why don't you go on it with me? And it's pretty simple. I think the devotions each day take about five minutes. It's just a simple direction of walking with Jesus. See, Jesus was sensitive. Sense of the needs, but he came to do more than just meet those physical needs. And he was sensitive because he had that deep walk with God. He withdrew. 
But he knew he came to meet spiritual needs. A question for you, church. Do you understand that our purpose here is so much greater? So much greater than what you do every single day. Watching again, just referring back to the speeches last night of the guys being inducted to the Hall of Fame, which is really interesting. I usually never watch them. It just happened we got home and turned the TV on, they were on, and I got caught up in it. Three of the guys who spoke, three of the guys who spoke all said, listen, football is what I do, but it's not what I am. It was their platform. Right, wrong, or indifferent. Did they do it all perfectly? Nope, they didn't. They admitted that. Made their mistakes. It don't matter what you're doing today. You may be a school teacher, as I refer to. You may be a scientist. You may be a mathematician. You may be a doctor. You may be a lawyer. You may be a trash collector. You may be a salesman. Whatever your journey is, maybe you're a stay-at-home mom. Maybe you work at a local restaurant. Whatever it is, that's not who you are. That's just what you do. That's what you do to put some food on the table, to pay some bills. But more importantly, that's what you do as a mission field. That's where your mission field is at. So if you're a waiter or a waitress, you have a mission field. Every single day as someone's sitting at your table, are you just serving them food or are you saying, you know what, this is an opportunity for me to love somebody, for me to serve somebody. You're a nurse, you're a doctor, you're serving people, you're loving people, you have an opportunity to point people towards Christ. And if we get that perspective in this world, then we will live differently. We'll live so differently we realize I am here for a purpose. My purpose is to help people know Jesus. That's leadership. Christ-like leaders don't just give people what they want. They seek to provide what they really need. And what they need more than anything is the forgiveness of sins and the hope of eternal life. And church, that's our message. We have a chance to carry that every single day. Every single day to carry into a world that needs hope that needs to know that there is an eternity with God provided for them if they believe in Jesus as their Savior. That's the deepest need of the heart, is that people need Jesus Christ. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never thirst again. That's our message. As you lead... As you influence others towards knowing and growing in Christ, be filled with the Spirit. Have that deep walk with God. Have a compassionate heart. Don't see people as interruptions. See people as God bringing them to you as an opportunity to demonstrate and show compassion. And then serve others. As you serve others, point them to Jesus.